Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. We know what our plans are to beat England. What we're not going to do is going to get caught up in a... Uh emotional battle of who's going to bowl the quickest bounces. We're here to win the test match, not to see how many helmets we can hit. So, and that's the truth. We are literally here to win the test match and we have our plans on how we think we can beat England. Hi everyone and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. Well, yes, Ashes fever has fully taken hold of me. So I spoke to Pete Lawler who was at Headingley yesterday just after Steve Smith was ruled out of the Ashes' third test. And now I'm going to call one of News Corp's most senior cricket columnists, Robert Craddock, to uh, chat about a few of the issues bubbling around. So let's give Crash a call. Hey, mate. How are you, Manus? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Crash, how are you? Good, mate. So let's get straight into it, Crash. Uh, I know you spoke to Joe Burns, was it earlier this week or last week? Um, how's he going after being left out of the Ashes squad? Uh, Joe Burns had a uh, was really surprisingly positive. I mean, he had a re- reason to be heartbroken, didn't he? Probably the last player I missed from the squad. But he was philosophical about the road ahead. He'd been very sick with a, with a virus that wasn't detected until late in the season. And he said, look, I felt... Uh, happy to be in contention for the Ashes squad. A lot of people felt that was something of an understatement given he made nearly 200 in his last test. But uh, I'm sure Joe Burns will be back playing for Australia. He's very unlucky. 16 tests, 
four centuries. It's quite a record, isn't it, given that Cameron Bancroft, I guess, has played nine tests now without one. Yeah, it just seems that whenever the selectors have been sort of faced with deciding between Bancroft and Burns, they've gone with Bancroft twice, you know, before the 17-18 Ashes and before this one. So, yeah, I'm imagining he's uh, finding it pretty tough. Well, he doesn't let his guard down, Joe. I'm sure he would have been bleeding internally. But um, he it was, a, it was a difficult situation for him because he was under so much pressure with a virus that sapped a lot of his energy and the long countdown. I mean, if the Ashes squad had been named in March or April, he'd have been in it, no question. But it was almost harder to be just inside the squad than it was to be just outside it because the guys inside it, like Curtis Patterson and, and uh, Joe Burns, who played in the last test against Sri Lanka, they were always fighting to retain their position whereas Bancroft could steadily build momentum from outside. And, look, I think he made one century Bancroft in the English second division from Durham, uh, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, it's not as if his form was damn busting. I mean, in the same division, I think Manus Labrachon made five centuries. So, but, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's not the end of the road yet either. I mean, so, you know, Bancroft can certainly save his tour, as he may do uh, in the next few tests. Yeah, maybe. And Crash, I mean, we saw the series start so well at Edgbaston, an epic test. But I think, I mean, Lords has brought this series to life. I mean, Archer's inclusion has added a whole new element to this series. It has. I mean, you just can't believe that uh, Archer didn't play the first test of the series. So when people say, did you underestimate Jopper Archer? We can all say, yes, we did. And so did England selectors. I mean, because they would go back, he'd be the first player picked for Edgerston now, wouldn't he? But he's brought something to test cricket that it hasn't had for many years. So I did a Cricket Legends uh, interview with Brett Lee a while ago, and he said, he said, haven't, haven't the speeds of fast bowlers gone down since I retired? He said, show a to and myself were up near the 160s. Now they're in the mid-140s. It was a fair point. But Archer is up in the mid-150s, and I would say there's a chance he may bowl the fastest ball of all time, eclipsing the 161.3 kilometres an hour bowl by show a Yeah, certainly he's just added a new life to this series. Uh, interesting, I heard Steve War speaking about Archer, and he made a comparison that I, I didn't immediately think of, but actually when you watch Archer bowl, it will uh, ring true to you. But he says that Archer's action is very similar to Glenn McGrath's in that there's not a lot that can go wrong. It's very much a straight line, except Archer does it about 15, 20 Ks quicker. Yeah, it, it's it's a good point, isn't it? And, uh, uh, you know, those actions that are simple and functionable and, and don't have a lot going for them. And, and the other key thing is they don't look to be overtaxing themselves significantly Archer ran to the wicket during the spell against Steve Smith about five miles an hour quicker than his other spell, but he still looked to be bowling, not within himself, but it all looked pretty fluent and and repeatable, and he didn't look like a car going down the highway that was about to burst a a guzzler or or a you know, just blow up in front of us. Like he was, he was, had it all in hand. And that was the secret. That was the uh, trait of Glenn McGrath. He always looked as if everything was, was in hand and measured, even though he would say privately, hey, I may look that way, but I'm busting a gut out there. It's like those great West Indian attacks of the mid-'80s. I mean, those bowlers always kept a little bit back uh, to unleash on the batsmen when they needed well, it. I, 
I think that's a great point, man, is because that's the thing about the great bowlers. They've always got that bit extra. As far back as the 1960s, when Graham McKenzie, the underrated Australian, used to surprise people with his quicker bouncer. Michael Holding did it. Andy Roberts did it. You know, you were you were always fearful that they had something extra up their sleeve, and they normally did. You know, and, and they, they could bowl at 148. You think, wow, how about that? But then, guess what? The next one's at 153. Yeah, and that's uh, the one that usually gets you out. Uh so uh, Ben Horn wrote a really good article today in the News Corp papers about the fact that the hoops that England went through to get Archer um, qualified for England for the World Cup and these Ashes. And, you know, they changed some significant rules to make him available. They did indeed. It was normally a long qualification period. I mean, Graham Hick, I think, did seven years, didn't he? And uh, Archer basically did three years. So, look, it was... Uh, <laughs> they certainly did... And, and I immediately thought of that song, uh, you know, That's in England, uh, done by Dennis Carnahan, where he picked out all the nationalities of the England team back in the 90s. And, <laughs> um, but, look, the bottom line is this is great for cricket. England are not known for producing rapid, rapid, rapid fast bowlers. They had Frank Tyson, who, who Richie Benno thought was the fastest the game's ever seen. Devin Malcolm blew brightly but briefly. He roughed up South Africa once and named his book after a line he dropped that day. I think he said, you guys are history. And uh, (laughs) he went through there, but he couldn't sustain it. The thing about Archer, he's just got the look of a guy who, A, can sustain it, and B, and this is even more important than the first one, is born for the big stage. There is a certain style of person who, when they've uh, got the spotlights turned on, some run away from it, some just don't want it, you know. Others just run towards it and say, I want to snatch this moment. And that's what Shane Warne used to do. I think that's what Archer will do. Yeah, if you see uh, Archer's social media, he's not at all afraid of self-promotion, that's for sure. No, and, and look, it's, it's such an important point, Menace, because he's going to be on the front and back page of every English newspaper. And some, some people really struggle to adjust to it. And, and they, as I say, almost run away from it. Others just luxuriate in it. I remember once... Shane Warne, uh, when he was breaking through in England in 93, picked up the London tabloids and uh, they had a bit of gossip about him. This was on the test morning at Lord's and I watched him. He was eating fruit uh, over breakfast and he didn't even stop chewing. He just looked at it and thought, no, well, fair enough. And, and, that, and, you know, he could handle it and get on with it. And I think Arch is a similar person. Definitely. Uh, what about the sort of scenes we saw at Lord's over the weekend with... I mean, you could never imagine this happening at Lords of All Grounds. You know, Steve Smith being booed by sections of the crowd when he came back out, a member of the long room being evicted. Uh, this has sort of never happened before. And, you know, I heard Robert Huth, I think his name is, he's a footballer, speaking on BBC today about the level of, of abuse he sustained while playing football in England. And I just think that England's yeah. got to be careful because they've always you know, set really good standards. Australian crowds, you know, certainly can degenerate, but you don't expect mm. it in England. No, well, do you expect it in England? I don't know. I mean, I, I think Australia's teams, uh, cricket teams, have felt that behaviour in England's been deteriorating for over the decades. The boys in 2005 really copped it when England won the Ashes. It was just before that, Australia was keeping them silent because they were winning so often. But one of the things is, at, they'll... Uh, 
people who are at the ground said they felt there was about 40 people booing Smith. Now, when you come to Australia, I've seen English fast bowlers break down and people are screaming out, get up, you weak so-and-so. Like, we really give it to the Englishmen when they arrive in Australia and, and, and at all the grounds. So I don't think we can really pound the pulpit too hard on this one. I just think booing's a fact of life in sport now. It's, it's you know, we you've just got to get on with it. And uh, as someone else tweeted, they said, do you think if an English captain used sandpaper on a cricket ball and was banned for a year and turned up in Australia on an Ashes tour, do you think he'd cop a little bit? I think he would. I agree. It's just that England like to look down their noses as Australians generally. It's it's a common theme and, you know, it seems to be evening up a bit. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that they do. I, I'm not sure that they do. I, I tend to think we bag England far more than they bag us. And, and I, my opinion on that change in 2005, when they finally, after years and years of torture, 16 years of Ashes torture, they got on top of Australia, and I felt they handled it with a fair bit of dignity and respect. The last time we won the Ashes in Australia, they put up giant promotional uh, fists with four fingers in the air behind the Australian team when they won a, a giant sort of a, a mannequin, a sort of a, a statue. And then, of course, England had a closed fist because they'd won nothing. It was embarrassing. England would not have done that in 100 years. Yeah, I just think we need to stop this race to the bottom. I mean, you know, it's on both sides. I think, um, you know, cricket can be a little bit better. Yeah, oh, look, it's true. And um, But I'm loving what this series is doing for cricket. It's reinvigorating the game at test level. It's having people... Nothing excites the game more than a rampaging fast bowler. It, it, it's wonderful. And, you know, Australia have their plans, but... Uh, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do against the really, really fast bowlers because you're not conditioned to it. We're just bowlers of his pace are so irregular. Now, what about the third test? Uh, what's your inkling on, on what fast bowlers Australia could take into that test? Because surely if Pattinson's back is not sore, he has to come back in. You think so? I think they're right for a little bit of James Pattinson. Um, you know, he, he's got that little bit of madness about him and that little bit of uh, up your jacksy sort of feel about him where he can stir the pot with a little bit of hostility. But I also think it's terribly important, Menace, that Australia does not get away from the formula which has worked very well in the first two tests, and that is death by suffocation. Cut off the boundaries, bowl tightly. It worked. It got Australia their first... A series win in India for decades in 2004 and it can work again this tour so uh, I never thought I'd hear an Australian coach say what Justin Langer said about this isn't about who could hit the most helmets, normally it's the opposition saying that isn't it <laughs> but um, you know I do agree with him, precision poise and calmness can win this tour for Australia and I think that uh, they should keep with this game plan of death by suffocation. It will deliver the ashes. And strange to say it, for all the talk about Archer, the departure of Smith, England are the team under pressure. One more lost test for them, and the ashes have gone. They must win two out of the next three tests. So, And they've got four out of their top six players out of order, and out of form in the top order. So, yes, Australia's got challenges, but so does England. Yeah, I'm confident we can win in Headingley, actually, with the bowling attack we're taking. It's interesting, uh, you and JL are much more level-headed than I am because I thought it might be time to unleash an attack of stark 
Pattinson and Cummins on England of all, you know, 140 plus. Stark can clean up the tail because we are having trouble finishing England off. Yeah, we, we, we are, but that's no surprise against a team who bat down to about number 10. I, I think that over the past two years, England's top order have averaged something like 28 runs per wicket, and they're, that's their top five, and their bottom five have averaged 25. Like, it, there's not much between it at all. Like, it's not as if England's bottom uh, five have somehow conquered runs from nowhere. They can all bat, and I think you'll get that with the old ball against England. Ev- everyone has found them pretty hard to get through. They just, they, uh, their top five are nothing special, and their bottom five fight. So, uh, I get the theory of bombs away and getting him out like that, but if it goes wrong, if Mitchell Stark comes out and just isn't quite ready or, or is a bit loose and uh, Pattinson's a bit loose, you're getting back into this zone where that's where it all went wrong for Australia in 2005. Remember that day at Edgebaston where England scored 400 in a day? Well, I'm telling what, you'd be doing well to score more than 250 in a day against this current Australian attack. But there are issues. Usman Kawaj has got to score runs against a swinging ball. He's averaging 20 in England, so he's got to improve as well. Yeah, I mean, Smith's loss is huge. I never thought he could back up for this test match. I mean, it would just have been farcical that Australia leads the way in concussion treatment and then you you ask Smith to back up after that. Yeah, oh, exactly. And common sense is prevailed. He actually looked pale in the photos, didn't he, from overnight. Uh, from Headingley, and, uh, you know, will he play in the fourth and fifth test? Uh, that's no certainty at the moment. He will have to prove himself. I mean, we've known footballers to have more than a month out, so it could happen to a cricketer. I mean, I've heard of baseballers that have concussion symptoms for weeks after an, an initial blow, so fingers crossed, because uh, it's a l- massive hole. You, you mentioned Usman Kawaja. I think there is... The problem with Smith's absence is our top three is really struggling. I mean, Warner... We, we all know he struggles. Bancroft, I'm not convinced about. And Usman Khawaj has shown a propensity when the stakes are really high. He sometimes is a bit absent. Well, yeah. I mean, he's an Australian batsman, isn't he? Uh, and it may sound funny given he was born, I think, in uh, Pakistan. But he, he averages 50 in tests in Australia and 30 overseas. And, and that's a huge differential. And what is the difference between those two uh uh, conditions swing swing overseas I think is the big one and uh, look ideally uh, you could back Kawaja at number five because he he's probably technically better suited to batting down the order even though everyone says I'll oh, put him up at opener or three but uh, it's that getting that head over the ball and his forward defense and uh, I mean the forward defense is such an underestimated shot isn't it and uh, I was talking to a former test batsman this week and he said, if you lose your forward defence, you lose everything in cricket because it's a shot you play most and it's it, it's the single most important shot in your game. Warner's struggling with it, Bancroft's struggling with it and so is Usman Khawaja. Yeah, I mean, you just have to listen to the pundits who talk about Bancroft's technique. There are problems there. Uh, I guess for Marnus Lobeshane, a brilliant... I mean, to, to do what he did at Sunday at Lords, it's it's never been done before. Someone, you know, subbed into a game and then saved it. I mean, incredible. And I think sort of, you know, if Smith comes back in, they might think about Marnus at three for the last two tests. 
Well, he's totally fearless, isn't he? When they wanted a number three batsman for the test against India in Sydney, Marnus almost shook Greg Chappell's arm out of the socket when he said, you'll be batting three. I mean, he wants to take on the best bowlers. I mean, he took on Jasper Brummeritz in uh, the SCG. See, being called in at the 11th hour would intimidate some people. For Marnus Labuschagne, that's fairyland. That's paradise. That's dream time. You know, when he was hitting the helmet second ball, he got up and shook himself as if say, is that all you got, pal? You got any earth for me? And uh, I, I just think he, he, he's got a certain spirit about him. Technically, he looked very, very good, almost as short as any of them. He's got a patchy first-class record. You've got to say that. For about you know, I think he averaged 20 in the Sheffield Shield season. But he's got going at the right time. Yep, uh, they obviously like him. Well, last couple crash. Uh, I mean, Nathan Lyon, he's now gone or equal with Dennis Silly. He's just about to turn, what, 32? He's played 88 tests. Could he catch Shane Warne in, on 700 wickets? Well, it's, it's not a bad question. He's got a lovely economical action. He's fit. He never gets injured. He will bowl a lot of overs. He has no rival, direct rival. They haven't even got a second spinner in the team or a second front line spinner. So those four factors means that he will just chug along. And also, there's the, the increased self-belief he's got now. Years ago, he had no confidence at all. We'll have to say to the, the keeper, how is that? How is that? That look okay? That look okay? Now he just knows he can do it, and he does it, you know? Significantly, England are playing him better in this series. They're playing him off the back foot in, these la- in the last test, and they absorbed him very nicely. They made him think about his line. That was a significant breakthrough. I've got to say, I got it wrong. I thought he'd clean him up on the last day at Lords, But um, he just has a habit of bouncing back. Of course, he could take... 350 wickets now, I mean, he could be up 500 plus. And for a finger spinner in Australia, when you think the next most successful finger spinner in Australia didn't even take 150 test wickets, to have one take more than 500 is just outstanding work. And considering he was almost dropped about a dozen times in the first, like, 40 tests, it is a, a remarkable turnaround. All right, Crash, give me a tip for this tested Headingley. I'm saying Australia retain the Ashes this weekend. What's your tip? Yeah, I've got a good feeling about it too, Manners. And uh, but I've got I've got Australia winning the next test, and then England the one after that. But it won't matter because I, I think Australia can put them away. But it won't be easy. Uh, runs from Warner are essential. Uh, Lovey Shane, I reckon, will score a few. And uh, but and. Look for Stuart Broad to be very, very dangerous. I just think he would love all the publicity going to Archer. He'll enable him to freshen up a little bit, the bowler in the spotlight now. I don't think he enjoys really being the main man, which he's not now. Everyone's looking at Archer, and he's a very, very dangerous opponent uh, On a, you know, when when he's just coming in the slipstream and bursting out in the, when it matters. Yeah, in the sunset of his career. Well, I think we're a bit at that stage where England celebrated that that draw in 2005 or they saw Australia celebrate that draw in 2005 and thought, we've got him. I think England are a bit the same. They've celebrated this draw, but they're still up against it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. Look, all those factors, four batsmen out of form, one down in the series. They've got, they've got plenty of issues. And uh, they may have Anderson coming back for the next test, but they haven't got the bowling depth that Australia has. This could be one of the great 
months of test cricket we've had for a decade, Menace, and I can't wait for it. Yeah, not doing great for my sleep patterns, Crash. How are you coping with the late nights? Uh, wobbling through, mate, but that's the joy. I, I mean, I think, you know, just to, to, to hear people, I'm seeing the, the numbers online, for people reading stories at our paper, they're terrific. Test cricket is surging again. I'm hearing it at the water coolers, you know. I'm hearing it on talkback radio. You know, I go on a show, a couple of radio shows, and, and you know, there's a queue of talkback callers. And it's wonderful. People want to debate everything about this team. It's, cricket's up and alive again, man. It's uh, rats. I listen to those shows, Crash, and you are always so polite to the callers. I mean, sometimes they come up with, I don't know, crazy notions, and you go, yep, yep, okay. You're very polite. Well done. I'm probably too polite, manners at times, but I, I just, uh, you know, that's what I love about cricket. Everyone's got a theory, and it's a very broad church. And you know, you, I don't hold myself up as any authority. And uh, but uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's good fun, and uh, really enjoy it. Well, Crash, that's why we love you. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll catch up soon. My pleasure, manners. That was Robert Craddock, one of the chief cricket writers for News Corp in Australia. Remember, you can keep up with all the Ashes action on your local News Corp papers website, Herald Sun, Courier Mail, Daily Telegraph, Adelaide Advertiser, even the Hobart Mercury. It's all there. So you've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. I'll have uh, more podcasts coming from the journalists who are at the third test and also a feature interview with Australian women's cricket team captain Meg Lanning. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.